0: all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the fuck narians how's it going man women children you letting your kids listen to this how's it going i um i'm okay the quarantine thing is pretty solid we're dug in we're dug in over here i have to start saying we because there's been an issue that we're going to get into in a minute Today on the show, I talked to Kathy Valentine, who is a bona fide go-go. A go-go. I talked to a go-go. And I think people really got to remember just how fucking huge the go-go's were. I mean, they were the first kind of big-ass, mainstream, all-on, full-on rock band women. All women. And they were the real deal, man. I remember. I remember that record. Kathy Valentine, the bass player, who was actually a guitar player before she went into the go, still plays guitar, obviously. She's written a book called All He Ever Wanted. It comes out uh, next Tuesday, March 31st. It's good, rock and roll story. But, you know, it's also about self-realization, about dealing with, you know, one's parents in the past. I mean, it's just she lived quite the life because her mom was sort of a free spirit type. Back in the 70s, late 60s, parents were divorced. I don't know. It was good. It's Texas, Austin, Texas, all the makings of a good memoir. But I'll talk to her about that uh, in a bit. But how are you guys holding up? I mean, it's becoming pretty clear that there's a movement within the uh, government, within the country that really thinks that money is the most important thing and we should all be willing to lose our grandparents. That, uh, you know, hey, man, adapt or die, we got to keep this thing going. We got to keep selling stuff. We, gotta, this, we can't have this economy bottom out because then we're, we're going to have no choice but to vote for Bernie. He's the only guy who's going to know how to build it back up. Make the, make the people connect again. If there's if there's no economy, God knows what who knows what's going to happen. All I know is that. Listen to the scientists, listen to the doctors. And if you live in a good state, they're not going to send you out there into the eye of the fucking storm of sickness. This is what they mean. It's going to be state by state. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with this big gamble. Hey, man, you know who needs old people? We got to keep the, you know, we got to keep the engine going. They're not bringing a lot to the table. It's easier than getting rid of Medicare and Social Security if we just let the old people die. I mean, let's not look a gift horse in the mouth here, people. Come on. That's a point of view happening out there. So, hope you're hanging in there, New York City. Sounds like you're the... uh, Tip of the spear here in this country that's going to sort of be unfolding in all the cities of the country with any amount of people in them. One after the other, some all at once. My mother's down in Florida. I'm checking in with her pretty frequently. There's no way that that's not going to become a shit show virus. And that fucking governor, he's not doing nothing. Zilch. Zero. Belligerence. In the face of the germ. Hell of a gamble, people's lives over what? Come on, it's okay to go in the water. Look, the thing is, most of you know that I've been dating this woman, Lynn Shelton, who directs movies. She also directed my last two comedy specials, a couple episodes of Marin, a couple episodes of Glow, but that was before we started doing this thing. Well, she was working on something in Boston. She's living down here in L.A. now. She's getting her house set up. When she went to Boston, but that got canceled. Now she's back here, and she's been in my house yeah, for fucking weeks. But she did have a good point, and I think it's something we all need to talk about. And it, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. But we've been watching a lot of movies. Probably going to get into some comedy tonight. I haven't, we haven't watched much comedy. Taylor Tomlinson, I, I'm watching that, and Segura's got one. There's a nice little cluster. I think Taylor's was out earlier, but there was a nice little cluster that I'm happy to be part of. I think I was the, the first one uh, on Netflix. It was It's me, Bert Kreischer, uh, who's a friend of mine. I did his uh, podcast recently. I've watched a bit of his special. Segura came out the other day. Me, Kreischer, Segura, and I think there's a Dalia one coming. I'm not sure. Segura's special is called Ball Hog Kreischer's is Hey Big Boy But I know all these guys I like Tom I'm going to watch his tonight I spend my life watching comics But usually for 15 minutes Because I'm not a middle act anymore So I see everyone for just the right amount of time <laughs> 15, 20 minutes Perfect Because I'm not a feature act I have to sit through the headliner now Lynn Shelton uh, is staying with me here at the house and you know we're getting through this together and um, she like listens to the podcast now I don't understand that I get it it's nice she was a fan before you know we started whatever we're doing but like, I'll do the podcast. Like, this one comes out today. And by the end of the day, she'll be like, well, that was nice what you said about me. Like, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I'm with you all day long, and now you, I'm with you, and you ha- you're you listening to me? I mean, it's a little weird, but I've dealt with it before, but usually not in the same fucking house. So, it's good, though. I'm glad that you like me. What Lynn Shelton is in the room right now which I can acknowledge, which is part of the problem because the other day she listened and she was kind of like there was something wrong. You know, we haven't been seeing each other that long, but this thing is really, you know, a day is a week. In relationship time and quarantine, one day equals one week. So I can tell when there's something wrong and I'm like, what's going on? So... I don't know. See, I'm still talking like you you weren't here, which is part of the problem. So, what was the problem the other day? Lynn Shelton, the dire- f- film director, director of me, uh, in several different projects. All right. So, what happened?
1: So I I you know have to wait till you're out of the room or we're in different floors. Yeah. To listen to your podcast because yeah. you don't like to hear yourself. So yeah. So I think you were downstairs making breakfast and I was upstairs in the bathroom and I turned on the, I was taking a bath or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. And I was listening to your intro from Monday yeah. and, um, you know, you started out with this nice message about, you know, trying to make sure that to the people about how they should stay connected to each other yeah. and, you know, reach out to people who might be, you know, in, in need and all yeah. this and sort of talking, you know, about in general, like what it's like life, uh, in under quarantine yeah, yeah and then you painted this very detailed portrait of your life yeah in quarantine and you know the thing is that specific in that particular context it struck me <laughs> because i think it's really it's got to be a really different experience to be actually I- isolated and completely alone right Right, and some people are, and yeah. I know people who are, and right. are, who are really feeling extra disconnected yeah. from other people. Uh-huh. And I, particularly, I'm specifically grateful to have somebody to be going through, you know, with this. Oh my who's god, who's that? He's, he's who are you up with? The hammer, uh, it, it, you. Oh, I'm with you, and um, and so I just, it was, it particularly struck me because as you were painting this portrait of yeah. your life, yeah, it just sounded like you were all by yourself.
0: You're, is that really true, though? It
1: is. You said I every. like I'm. I'm. I'm stockpiling a lot of food. Yeah. Doing a lot of cooking. Yeah. I'm reading. Well, not really reading that much, but I am. Uh, you know, I'm watching. I saw a great movie last night. Casavetti's yeah. right. Killing a Chinese Bookie. Um. You know, I did, I did do um, all those things. You did. You I did. did. And I and I'm spending. You know, a lot of time with my cats. Did, <laughs> did I say that? Yes, that was how you wrapped it up. And I was like, huh, that is so curious because he <laughs> just sort of. Does he not know I'm here? Like have I just become so sort of a part of the furniture that, not that he doesn't not even that, register No my presence? that
0: no. <laughs> that See this is a, this is an interesting conversation because you know I have this I'm who I am on the mics and all the things I said were true you just you were there as well. And I'm not that disassociative. Okay? I I know that you were there. Uh-huh. I know we cooked the s- stock. You did the big stock. Mm-hmm. I know that we've been eating food together. We are cooking. We're eating popcorn. We're watching movies. We're both you know dealing chatting. with the cats. We're chatting. We're doing the stuff you know the dirty stuff. You know we're doing you know I we're having a full life here in quarantine. Too full, even a lot of time to fill. I'm getting work done out here, but mostly. <laughs> You know, you're in the house, I'm up here, you're meditating, whatever. The issue is, yes, you're here and, and I'm experiencing that. Why, the question is, why did I not acknowledge that more thoroughly? Well, I take, all you
1: need to do is just say we, that's all. An occasional we. I am
0: my own man. <laughs> and now I will explain to you <laughs> what that's about, is I'm in the habit of that. Because, and I really think it is a habit, once I get out here and I get on these mics, this is my experience with my listeners, and I think I am being honest. But the reason that I do that by habit is the last two women I've been with, they didn't want to be part of this. You know, they wanted to have their lives or have some control over how they're depicted, you know, publicly. Over the time, I've gotten into the habit of of doing that.
1: It's you can. You're right. You can do whatever you want. You're totally not beholden. I understand why
0: you're upset about it, and I and I and I think you're right. And I'll try to integrate it. But I think it's some different. of it was also me protecting myself against the inevitability of everything being ruined. Like you know. Well, it, I
1: remember. I remember if you listen to the arc of of your podcast over the years, yeah. there was I believe I believe a time when you were perhaps where you got in trouble because you revealed too much, right? You would tell a story from a relationship that.
0: Well, yeah, but you know, but anything's too much. But the thing is, it's like, eh, okay, so we're having this thing and it's good. We're having a nice time. And, you know, we, you know, we both broke up with people and, you know, there's a story, you know, there's backstory, but whatever. But the truth is, is that the more publicly you live your life here, the more I talk about it. If it goes wrong, if it goes bad, it's a heavy trip. Now, obviously, you know, I'm not going to, you know, people knew about my last relationship, even though it wasn't that. We didn't, I didn't talk about, you know, every, about her a lot specifically. I talked about us a bit. But then when it ends, then all of a sudden you got to figure out, well, how do I handle this? And I had to do it very respectfully and not bringing her into it hardly at all. And that's the way that, that, that went. So, like, when we break up, it's going to be a fucking disaster. Because now, <laughs> now look, everyone knows your laugh. Now you're on the show. They know we w- went through quarantine together. We made soup. And then when it all goes to shit, they're going to be like, is that the one you made soup with during quarantine? Yep. But it sounded like you really liked her when you had her on that time. I know, but you know things go wrong. Well, what went wrong? What, is it that important? Yeah, we all knew her. Everyone knows her.
1: <laughs> Your mom will be angry at you.
0: My mom was like, "Are you still with her?" Yeah. Are you still in love? Yes, everything's going good. I that's she's amazing. How is she doing? How is she putting up with that? How is she still with you? She's really leaning into it, too. Like I've been like in the last relationship she wasn't like that, but now she's sort of like really like what? Is, what's with the tone? All right. So look, I um. Were you a Go Go's fan?
1: I was a giant Go Go's fan. Yes. Listen to
0: me segueing like it's a fucking radio show <laughs> because you're in luck. Uh, I don't know if you know who Kathy Valentine. Really? Is. Why? Kathy oh. Valentine did. De- Kathy Valentine. She's here today. That's yeah.
1: amazing. The bass yeah, player from the Go Go's. Yeah,
0: she's here today oh, on the show shit. with you and us. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm just so that's great. You were a Go Go's fan. Um, It's true. You're Mm going to hear me talk to uh, Kathy Valentine shortly, like now. uh, Her memoir is called All I Ever Wanted, which comes out next Tuesday, March 31st, and you can pre-order it now. The Go-Go's documentary premiered at Sundance in January. It will be on Showtime later this year. This is uh, me and Kathy Valentine.
1: She was lovely. I gave her tea in the
0: kitchen. We're not co-hosting the show. (laughs) All right, this is me and Kathy Valentine talking without Lynn here. I enjoyed the book, your whole book. I'm
2: really happy yeah. that you did.
0: I know. I do, it's a and
2: page-turner, I, isn't it? it yeah,
0: I don't usually do that. And uh, and I was curious, because usually I'm sort of like, well, what's the angle? You know what I mean? What happened? And uh, you know, I was happy at the end. I, at, at the very last two chapters I'm like does she get sober is this a happy ending <laughs> what happens
2: yeah 31 years
0: but yeah, oh wow I got 20.
2: it's a good thing
0: but you did you definitely waited till the end to to reveal that you took well, it right to the edge here
2: well I knew that I was gonna do like a, an arc <laughs> yeah from from 1970 to 1990 yeah because I just thought this tells a story. And that was kind of the end of the story. And also getting back everything I'd lost, but getting to do it sober—right—was like a nice little.
0: That was the plan. Yeah. So what? But you didn't want to deal with, uh, you, you, like, from 1990
2: to now. That's another book.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a sequel. Coming.
2: Well, yeah. But first, I'm going to do another book or two, different ones. So I'm not like just the memoir person. Right. So out, but that'll be in the. So worst. writing
0: something that you you've taken to, and you want to do more. Yeah, of it in that I want to.
2: I really. I was really surprised, like how many female rock memoirs are out there and how many people are, yeah. are into them. But sure. but how there's not a lot about music. Like I write a lot about music yeah. and how it was a part of That's my. That's what life. I love
0: about the book because we have a lot of the same heroes, and you talk to them. I've only talked to a couple, but go ahead. So, so
2: so I would like to do a book where I like, I don't know, like just go talk to different women. Like instead of like uh, women who rock. Like really talk to them about what music was for them. And I just feel like that doesn't get talked about a lot. Like we all know what Muddy Waters meant to the Stones and Buddy Holly. and, and, And I don't think a lot of women get, to re- tell that part of their story, so that's a book I'd like to do. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because
0: I mean, you definitely tell a, a little bit of it, but there there's moments where I'm a huge Jimmy Vaughn fan. You know. Oh,
2: cool. Yeah. Do you huge. like that part I wrote about him? I
0: love the part about Jimmy, but I also like the part that Stevie comparing him and his brother, where Stevie says when he's playing, he puts everything he's got into it, and when Jimmy's playing, you're only getting about ten percent of what he's capable of. It's so wild. But it's so. But it it it, it taught you the definition of making choices about your own style Cause and
2: personality right because like that's how stevie was and it was so at odds with who he is you know and who stevie I, yeah well like he was just seemed he was so reserved yeah and, and humble right and, and like blazing yeah um, But I, when I would go see the Thunderbirds, a yeah. whole lot, like when Jimmy would see me out in the audience, because yeah. he's known me since I was 16 years old, <laughs> right? he would just like throw in like this crazy like, and oh yeah, and just like for me, and I'd be like,
0: ah. uh huh. So cool. Oh, to show you that he could do it.
2: Well, no, just kind of like recognizing that that I was there, and oh, hey, this nice. is for you. So,
0: but okay, so you weren't born in Austin, though.
2: Yeah. Oh,
0: okay. You were born, born in raised. Austin, but your old who was from England. Your mother, my mom, right? Yeah,
2: my mom was from England, and she ended up in Austin and is still there and still complains about it.
0: But yeah, but the whole thing. I mean, I can't imagine what Austin was like at that time. I mean, at Texas, because it was it was it cool, super cool. Yeah, it was yeah.
2: it was insanely cool, and I I don't know if I would have been a musician if I. Had been somewhere else,
0: right? Of course not. Yeah. But like, I I grew up in, in New Mexico, so I remember what it was like being a teenager towards the tail end of the seventies. But you seemed to be like right in the middle of it, and it seemed very exciting to me.
2: <laughs> yeah, the only part I missed out <laughs> yeah. on was like um, the psychedelic era. Like I didn't see. Like the 13th floor elevators and and like Billy Gibbons had the moving sidewalks. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was this cool psychedelic era that I was too young for, but everything after that.
0: Yeah. And also by the time the 70s, right when you're growing up, everything's just dirty. Like, I mean, like the 60s were idealistic, but by the mid 70s, it was just, you know, everybody was just dirty and fucking and doing coke
2: but that's what was so great (laughs) about being a teenager in the 70s it's like it's like wow because then you're a kid for me i'm a kid in the 60s so i have that idealism as a kid yeah and then a little kid yeah and then i get to be like this in this debauched era where the worst thing that can happen is you get the clap yeah or
0: and everyone did apparently from what i heard like it was just this common thing i missed out on all that i think (laughs)
2: Well, <laughs>
0: there's I, still time. Congrats! <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, but like the 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 dynamic, the, what happened with um, your folks? So I mean, like, what, so they when did they get split up? Um,
2: I was. I, I know
0: some of this, but I I, I don't want to lead you because I read the book. But yeah,
2: uh, well, my my folks split up when I was three. Yeah, and uh, my dad uh, basically just kind of. Moved away
0: I hear that so much certain dads they and they start over
2: I think it was the era a lot of it like yeah. this this was 1962 and the, the, what he told me later in life was that he just he said I just figured your mom would marry somebody else and I'd be in the way and it was easier for everyone but it, huh. it was terrible for me
0: yeah but that do you believe that
2: I don't know but you know you got to get people a pass it's just sure like, I
0: mean eventually yeah. you, you know what I mean but that seems like uh, how is he the victim? you know what I mean like, oh shucks it'd just be easier for you guys if I didn't get you know yeah I don't
2: know. I don't know it's just like
0: it was horrible right
2: well I didn't really know it was horrible until my 30s and, and I wrote about this it's like I was with a friend and I was watching her little 3 year old mm. run from her mom to her dad yeah. mom, and all of a sudden it was like this light bulb like I, this kid would notice if the dad wasn't there right so I called my mom and I was like in my 30s I'd been sober about 5 years I'm like hey mom what did I do, when, when y'all got a divorce, I'd never asked her, yeah, and all that time, and she yeah. said, "Oh, it's horrible. You'd sit on the steps and wait for him to come home, and you'd see a car that you thought was his, and it would just drive by and you would sob, and I was oh, like, my God. and I was like, i could I didn't remember that, and, didn't but know.
0: it's part of your heart.
2: it's in there. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah,
0: oh, it's so heavy. Did it's, that make you cry when she told you?
2: Uh, I cried a lot writing this book I, I,
0: I cried reading the book,
2: did you? Yeah, of course. I cried doing the audio book a couple weeks ago. There was one part. Did they leave it in? I don't know. I don't know what they'll (laughs) do. But the the engineer, the the producer was Skyping in from New York. The engineer was in the other room. Yeah. And there was one part where we were all just like sobbing.
0: Oh, God. Yeah. I
2: kind of don't think they should leave it in. That's awkward.
0: Well, I mean, the parts where you cry are, are, they're not bad cries. You know what I mean? They're not tragic cries. They're actually cries of... uh, Sort of like connection, and and usually it's it's the, when I cry, it's when the good things happen or, or, yeah. or surprising, uh, you know, reconnections or that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, or, and you're just being get, moved, you're... sure. Right, and the getting sober thing I always that always gets me. Yeah, the, you know the the kind of realizations that one has that that moment that people uh, that you know, sort of get it. You know, I get like if I'm at a meeting, man, that, that I'm just wired to cry at that, that moment in those stories where the hand is, of AA is there. What do they moment? call it?
2: They call it the, um, what do they call it when, um, like, oh, the Eskimo? Uh uh-huh. That, like, the person that, like, oh. almost, like, makes you go, oh, maybe I should quit. Right.
0: Oh, is that what they call them? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think yeah. So. yeah I, that, those stories always get me. But, but so, so you're on your own with your mother. And the way you characterize her is, like, uh, as, you know, this very kind of self you know serving person that didn't really know how to behave like a parent.
2: Yeah. Um, writing the book did wonders for my relationship with my mom because I I not only was able to kind of process everything she didn't yeah. do, but it also made me see what was good, you know?
0: Uh, that's important.
2: And it kind of just let me process. And, and um, I don't know, my heart has opened up to her in a way that before I had a lot of resentment and I was, I'm I'm always there for her and it's just me and her. It's always been just me and her. Right. But um, sometimes I would be like, you know, damn, like, couldn't you have like taken care of business a little like, and like you're older now and, and I'm the one that's make, I'm the reason you're not on on the street and stuff, (laughs) but it's like, it's just the right thing to do sometimes. And family is family and, and there's a lot of who I am. And I said to her the other day, I was like, mom, if you hadn't raised me the way you did, and I hadn't gone through that stuff and been thrown out there on my own like that, I would have had a boring book. So that's
0: for sure. Yeah, I mean I, I've I've grown to in sobriety believe that's true, that you know, you did get good things from them. Do you know, to separate them? Yeah. It's hard though.
2: It's really hard, because... especially when you're I'm raising a, a like there were so many times in the book where my daughter was the same age that I was writing and I'm like for
0: Christ's How sake. How does that have an impact on you? Because like, you know, the 70s, but not the 70s. You were surrounded by, you know, predatory dudes who were cool, but, you know, they were what they were. And the environment was sort of forgiving or 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 uh, without any sort of, um, uh, you know, parental guidance, even from your parents. And there was drugs around. But, you know, I mean, you talk about these dudes coming and going and you're a kid, yeah. I mean, what is it like to look at your daughter when she's 15 knowing that you were sleeping with a 38-year-old?
2: I know. It's it's well, like we had very different um di- different childhoods and she's she's parented and and um it's but just But they look like
0: real kids, don't they? I mean, she's a kid when you look at someone 15. Well, that's
2: what I was processing. It's like and there's a part in the book where I'm talking to my mom going like, "What were you thinking? You know, what were you doing?" Yeah. And and like, I, th- I just kept thinking about me as a mom and my daughter having yeah. to go through that stuff that yeah. I did. And it's, it was it's wild. Crazy. Yeah.
0: And those dudes are still around. What were you just saying? <laughs> that you saw some of those guys' names in oh, another story. Oh, yeah.
2: Like I was reading the Janis Joplin book and, and, and Janis's early days yeah. in Port Arthur, there was a crew of guys she hung out with. Right. And, and I was just like flipping out because like one, one guy, I'm like, oh, Geez, I had an affair with that guy when I was fifteen, and he must <laughs> yeah. have been like forty or something. Uh. And then there was another guy I've known since I was like three years old. That was he was like he was with Janis Joplin and hanging out, and I didn't know that. Yeah, but I have my own like memories, so it's weird to just read a book and see these connections. Sure,
0: between you and Janis. Between yeah, like the like the guy experience? that like
2: was with her. Yeah, like I remember being a little girl and seeing like a stack of Playboys in his bathroom when we were there visiting and looking through him and i'd never seen like that anything. yeah and I'm like what are they doing and it was at
0: his house yeah,
2: yeah yeah and i went home and i remember i went in the closet and like like took off my clothes and like posed like that and like because i was like what it it wasn't sexual it was right. just like con- yeah. curious like right. what yeah. are these women doing and yeah why are they doing it and i'm gonna go see what it's like
0: yeah and how was it
2: <laughs> it was kind of scary i was like the thought of somebody coming in oh finding yeah me.
0: so that was your mom's boyfriend for a no, while. no no he was uh, just a,
2: a family friend but i've known him since forever
0: and you, and you started doing drugs really young as well right i mean, I mean yeah. how would you not so your mom was sort of into it
2: well for it a little while like it was always there for a little while i was smoking pot and like for me the summer between uh i guess i was Twelve years old, yeah. Every, everything like exploded. 12. I started smoking cigarettes. Yeah. I started drinking um, Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill. Oh yeah, and that was my gateway drug, and it was disgusting. I mean, i would I would take a, a drink and and retch and vomit and Boone's then guzzle Farm, more. Right. And it was it was really the first time that I felt a that I felt. Uh, like I didn't feel Yeah I, I Like I didn't feel The way I didn't want to feel And I did feel The way I did want to feel Right Just yeah. from that disgusting stuff
0: Yeah and, You got the warmth
2: Yeah And everybody in in uh, Texas Smoked a lot of pot And did a lot of psychedelics So that's what I had access to And, and it was Texas style mm-hmm. So
0: it's just like You know Weird desert shit
2: Yeah Mescaline and Yeah Yeah psilocybin and Cowboys just... <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably had that in Albuquerque, but too. not the
0: same. You know, Texas is its own country. You know what I mean? It's its own trip, man. I mean, there was some of it in, in Albuquerque, but it was a little washed out.
2: The uh, the era when the hippies and the rednecks kind of morphed and yeah. the whole co- cosmic cowboy thing was was super cool in the
0: early seventies. Yeah. All right. So, like, when did you get your first guitar? When was that?
2: Um, well, I started I started playing guitar at the at the hippie school that I went to, the commune, and yeah and i it didn't occur to me i could like be in a band right i just was like learning guitar and then i was in in england because my mom's english mm-hmm. and i saw suzy quattro and it was the first time i'd seen a woman rock star yeah. like playing an instrument i mean janice joplin was a rock star and right. there was it was rock star singers right. but i'd never seen a woman just like doing just it just slamming it down yeah. so that changed everything and i was like that's what i'm gonna do and um I went back and wrote my dad and asked him to help me get a guitar. Well, first I got, um, my mom had a boyfriend. Yeah. And he was, uh, he moved an electric guitar into our house and that was the first time I like plugged in. It was
0: just hanging out there?
2: It was just there and he was like, he was a, he'd escaped from Leavenworth prison and he was like a, a biker and a, and a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. But he also played guitar really yeah. good. So I was like in heaven. He moves this guitar in, he moves this amp in. He was gives, it like a,
0: host- a stack. Was yeah, it a Marshall? It was,
2: like it was, it was just like this. No, it wasn't a Marshall stack. What was it? I forget what it Big was. Big amp? It was just a what giant was the guitar? amp. The amp, with the guitar he'd made. Oh, wow. He'd made the guitar. Yeah. And um, so the first time I, just plugged in and played my E chord that I knew and it sounded like that it it was just really empowering it was like I was like I'm like magic right I'm gonna do this forever I'm never gonna not do this yeah so that from that point on I was off and running and he showed me how to play like my first song was uh was Johnny Be Good mine too yeah yeah and I sat there forever just like trying to get and I'm a lefty but I played righty yeah so I could do the left hand pretty good, yeah. And because I'm not real coordinated with my right hand, it was really just about getting that feel.
0: <clears throat> and I just
2: was fixated on that. And then the the jump and Jack Flash. <clears throat>
0: and that's what you were doing. That's
2: what I did. And it was
0: the time, right? So those were like, well, Jump and Jack Flash was probably a relatively new song when you were doing that, right?
2: Yeah, what album I don't was wait, that on? That was
0: on uh, Sticky Fingers. Yeah, that was it? a little. It was a little, a little before. I was yeah, sixteen yeah. when that right. came
2: out. No, no, I was younger because I. <laughs> uh, what? As I write in the book, I I I got I look up, uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Sticky fingers. I like to side one. I basically had sex and <laughs> got pregnant.
0: That was the first. Was it? Was that the first time you had sex?
2: I. I thought it was the second time, but it turned right. out it was the first time because yeah. it hurt. And like, so what I thought it happened the first time, it didn't happen. I realized. But anyway, you have to read the book, people, because it's, it's good stories.
0: Good of stories. course. It, are you afraid to talk about it?
2: No, no. I'll talk about anything. Oh. oh. I'm, it's out there. What the hell am I going to do? Yeah, it's so like, funny because
0: like you, the I, book, I just demure. read the book and, you, and you're getting kind of like, well, I don't know if I'm going to.
2: Well, I don't know. <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> like I can still be demure because it's not out, but eventually sure. it's going to be like everyone's <laughs> going to know.
0: But there's also something interesting about saying it and then ta- and writing it, isn't there? It's like there's definitely a big difference. There's a different risk to it. Oh it yeah, feels like right. Yeah,
2: it's like it's like it's really terrifying because I I've been in bands for my entire adult life since sixteen or seventeen, yeah. and and that kind of means like just being surrounded and in in a insulated like a cocoon a band is a cocoon it's a gang and you're just one of of a of a a club a member but to put yourself out there like it's I'm 61 years old and all of a sudden it's like okay I'm not just in the background writing a cool song for for someone else to sing and it's a little terrifying because even though there's there's People are open, and and, and there's accolades and, yeah. and praise, but it's also you open yourself up to criticism and like how could you do that? What
0: it, when you write?
2: No, just you're... like have, knowing that it's going to come out and people well, are going to read it. It's kind of
0: heavy because like you know, at reading it. What's interesting is that you know because we grew up in the same time and that your experiences were these experiences. Like I, I imagine that some of the feedback you're going to get uh, around certainly the sexuality is like you know who are these guys? You know, because you know what, with the uh, even that that second time you had sex where you you know you lose your virginity basically. I mean, it does it doesn't sound like it's consensual, but not in the context of the world we're living in now, and and it was sort of rapey.
2: Well, <laughs> I mean, by today's standards, a lot was, but like, you know, and there is a, a rape chapter, but at the time. I mean, it's hard to explain to somebody what the 70s w- was like, really. And it was right after the the sexual revolution sure. of the 60s. Yeah. And, like the first time I did something with a guy, and he went and told everybody at school, and, and I was miserable. And I went to my mom in tears, and what she said was like, you didn't do anything wrong. You did it with the wrong person, because my mom was more worried about me being hung up about sex than she was worried about the fact that her twelve-year-old had had sex. Yeah, it, it was really—I mean, twisted. by today's standards, it's twisted. But it, I kind of, for someone that's like like this bohemian free right. spirit, that
0: just—that's
2: yeah. really how she thought of it. And I don't know. I guess some people—it's gonna—it's gonna sound. Well, debauched I mean, and well, weird but well, I it's, mean, it was
0: just how it was sure it, it was happened, definitely in the 70s yeah. and which is you know one of the reasons why people have to evolve you, you know and i understand it because i i mean i, I kind of i grew up then i mean i wasn't a girl but it, it's kind of i remember there i mean we were making out i think the first time we were you know i held boobs was probably seventh grade sixth or seventh grade seventh grade and I don't know if that's normal. Is that normal or was that the time? At the time, it was just like, <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't know. It just seemed, it seemed okay. I mean, yeah. it's not like all my friends were doing it, but right. there was... There was like a lot of guys hanging around. I mean,
0: well, you also because your house that you grew up in, there was drugs, and your mom was kind of free spirited. I guess. Is yeah, a nice and way I to was getting,
2: I was getting high, and, you, and know. you were getting high
0: with your mom. Yeah. So that wasn't like. So that's all other trip. Yeah. Right. That yeah. was a different type of parenting. Yeah. I have to assume at that time there were people that weren't parenting like that, as well. No. Yeah.
2: No, but uh, no, yeah. it's just how it was. How's, and
0: what was that? You got a, your first guitar was a Telecaster.
2: No, well, yeah, I I wanted a, a guitar like Keith, so yeah, I, me too. I, I got I, I get them mixed up, but I either got a deluxe and he played a custom, or I got a custom and he played a deluxe. But what, once I realized I had the wrong guitar, I was like, oh well, whatever. But when I saw my Strat hanging in a guitar store, I tr- yeah, I traded that guitar in for it, and you
0: traded the deluxe for the yeah, Strat, yeah. And, and you still have it, right? Yeah. It's it's, like, what is that? Was a sixty-two Strat? It's a
2: sixty-two Strat, and it's just like it's just i'm psychotic i i just now stopped taking it out of town to play gigs with because one like i think one time i thought somebody had walked off with it and i lost my shit i was just like it's a huge
0: collector's market now it must be worth a fortune
2: well i was in a car accident with my band we were playing in west texas and somebody rear-ended us and the net Got it. Didn't crack off, but it got a crack. Mm. So that always reduces. The, uh, I, I've uh. glued it back. I don't think it's staying in tune as good. I'm kind of heartbroken about it. But uh, that's hard. But that guitar is just. I don't know how s- something that's inanimate it could be such a part of you, but it really is. So oh,
0: I, 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 especially if it's your life. It's what you do. It's your. You've companion. had it. It just represents whole, yeah. everything. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a. The guitar I bought, I bought because of Keith too. I bought it at Telecaster; It was my first guitar. It was heavy as hell too. Yeah, It was yeah. like an oh, I don't know what it was made out of, but I, I never pursued it as a life. You know, the well, you're good.
2: Thing. I've heard you play, and I, you could.
0: I want to. I want to play with people more. Um,
2: I'll be in your band. You will. Yeah,
0: I'll come to Austin and play with That'd you. That'd be awesome. I have to. I have to learn how to play with people. I play with myself.
2: I think you could. I really I think do you could do it cuz if you just start playing, then people around you are just going to start playing what you're playing.
0: Yeah, I've I've sat in with I've sat in with people and I like it, you know, and I just have to carve out time to make it part of my life. Yeah. So like the through line of the book, like you know, when I I really think about you know, it seems to me that you know, outside of the go-gos when when that happens, you know, that the experience of you kind of like um you know being cool and stuffing things down and not you know responding emotionally to stuff and drugging yourself that that seemed to you really established that early on like at the beginning yeah of your life and and it just sort of became like i i would i became sort of amazed at the amount of drugs that were <laughs> that were going on you know after a certain point let's let's just stay with the bands what was the first band that you started Right, that you were in.
2: Well, I was kind of, you know, messed up and doing all these drugs. And when when music came in my life and I decided this is what I'm going to do, it's not like I was all of a sudden I'm pure and, and I'm like, I'm still getting high. I'm still, you know, but... I have a focus and I have, it's like kind of just like a side trip. It's like I was really more interested in getting great on the guitar. So I started having bands right away and I put together a a couple in Austin and then I went to England and joined a band there and uh and you
0: were like what 15 or 16
2: yeah i was like 16. i guess
0: that's when people joined band i guess that's when you start doing this
2: well i was at a school where i could do anything i wanted the hippie school yeah so that helped so i'm playing guitar there's other kids around you can do whatever you want at this school so we started a band and uh the school needed benefits, so we had gigs you right. know and then I played with the band in England. And I came back and started a punk band in, in Austin the first the first punk band in right Austin. that must have
0: been like pretty like the, going back to the like the uh, sex incident and the abortion incident, that was you were 12. yeah and then that kind of like that got, I mean that, that must was have, all
2: the bad shit.
0: It must have fucked your head up bad.
2: Well, right. no, it's not like it it's not like it fucked my head. It was just that I think it's just. Things that happen that sh- that illustrate how lost and confused I was. And
0: did you, your mom took you to the clinic or what happened? Yeah, we yeah. flew to
2: California. Oh, that's
0: right. You had to fly to California. Because it
2: was two years before Roe v. Wade.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's what the future we're looking at now. Well, I,
2: that's why I wrote about it. I, I wrote because I feel like people need to tell their stories and you know, women so, women that have had abortions. So you were
0: able, you told your mother that you were pregnant and then, you know, she... She's
2: like, let's take care of that.
0: And she figured out how. Yeah. And you had to fly to California. Yeah. And that was the first time you were in California? Yeah. That was kind of a... Inglewood. Yeah, oh, nice. It was kind of a double-edged sword there. You know, you you got to come here, but it was for horrible reason.
2: Yeah, but to me, it was like, it was just like so much about just like making the problem go away. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like became my whole life thing was, like, make the make the problem go away. If it's by drinking or right. ignoring it or stuffing it was, down. Was or, the
0: fundamental problem, you think, uh, your your emotional trauma about, like, you know, just the way you were, the dynamic between your, you and your mom and your dad kind of splitting? I mean, was there a constant pain?
2: I don't think it was, like, conscious, but I think that I felt... Um, uncared for mm. and like not like I didn't feel valued mm-hmm. like I think at some deep level I felt like if I mattered to my dad he would come visit me more right. if I mattered to my mom she I, but it's not like you're articulating no, of course it not. it's but just a, you can,
0: as a sober grown-up you can see that yeah it's right. like
2: well, I've had a lot of time to reflect right. and, and writing the book and yeah. stuff but music really saved
0: me so that band, the punk band, what was that called?
2: The Violators.
0: Oh, yeah? Did yeah. you guys cut any wax?
2: No. Uh, in fact, I've been going crazy trying to find a cassette because oh, really? in my audio book, I wanted to do some underscoring. And, yeah. And when I talk about the that band, I wanted to kind of have it under there. So I was tearing my house apart looking. But we have a cassette. And um, from You the, found it? No. Uh, I'll find it, though. Okay. I get really- You still
0: have them? Most of that stuff? I got, After oh, all the, I got
2: so much. I got everything. Really? Yeah.
0: After all that moving,
2: yeah, I've got everything. It's crazy. I just found like GoGo's tapes, are, like me and Belinda writing songs, and really, yeah. Uh, I just don't have a, a cassette player. I have to like, and then who's got time? Like, you barely have time to do the shit you need to do. Like, you
0: got to digitize that shit.
2: I know. I got to just dump it all. But then there's too much. There's going to be like four hours of us like, uh, you That's know, it's kind
0: of nice though to hear it <laughs> <is it>? <laughs> wasted <laughs> rambling,
2: yeah, and then like bang 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 yeah so um, so yeah that the, the thing violators. about the thing about punk rock yeah. was for what it did for me was like i thought I had to be like Jeff Beck or Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix oh, yeah, or Eric is, Clapton I, to be I in a band. To this, yeah. And that's what I wanted to right, be. I right. wanted to be like in that pantheon. Like of that, Jimmy those type Jimmy and of guitar Eric. Players. Yeah, and then yeah. there's Kathy. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that's what I wanted.
2: <laughs> it doesn't even sound right, does right, it? Right. Jimmy and Eric and Kathy. Jimmy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But
2: um that's what I that was my dream. And I still it's still in there enough that when like when I meet a, guita- a woman guitar player that just Embodies everything I wanted to be. Yeah. I just like really hold her up because sure. it's like my vicarious thrill. To, yeah. to, and I play pretty damn good, but I'm not like that level. But when when I got hip to punk rock, it was like, oh, I don't have to sit around for years right. practicing in yeah. my bedroom noodling. Yeah, yeah I can yeah. be in a band now. This right. is cool.
0: Everyone could, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. So, and that's kind of like. I know we probably will touch on this later, but the, the Go-Go's have a documentary coming out. And the whole narrative, or not the whole, but a big part of that film is how the band started in the punk rock scene in L.A. Right. So it's kind of cool that I'm in Texas. Yeah discovering punk rock starting a punk band a little earlier than when they started Well,
0: was that the first wave I mean was that like what mid-70s like 77 that was like,
2: like yeah probably I so came back the, from England and it was probably yeah 78 when I started that oh, band. so
0: it was happening in England it
2: was happening and I was there playing in this band that became girls school and we were a rock band we were doing like thin Lizzy and ACDC uh-huh. and stuff but punk rock was everywhere
0: so like you 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 because i was there i don't remember i guess i was there in 1981 Mm -hmm. and it was already kind of long gone but that whole king's road trip and all that fashion had really been integrated already but i guess when you were there it was probably fresh
2: it was so fresh and the you know the the pistols were like like it was full-on shock mode you know just like headlines every day and you you couldn't ignore it and Mm -hmm like walking around King's Road and stuff. I mean, I thought I, I had just gotten, like, hip yeah, in, in yeah. Austin, feeling like a rock a rocker chick. Yeah. And then I'm, like, looking at all these punks going, oh, I'm, like, old-fashioned. This sucks. <laughs> right.
0: Did you buy some clothes?
2: <laughs> I bought a, a, a T-shirt with zippers on it. Oh, quick study, you, you know. There you go. And went back to Austin to start that punk band. And it's
0: so funny. Do you, are you friends with Steve Jones yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. What a character, right? Yeah, I mean, he- we,
2: we're we not in touch a lot, but we, we've had running, uh, par- I mean... Um, we our paths have crossed sure. many, many times.
0: Yeah, another sober dude. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so you're doing the punk thing, and what kind? What drives you? How do you get? Because like I, I think that this book is very thorough in its depiction of of what it takes to be a musician, how a musician's life really unfolds. Yeah, you know, with you know the the sacrifices you have to make and the dream you have to follow, because it seems like you knew you know, pretty early that you have the, you were doing this. Yeah. And, and there was nothing that was going to stop that. Yeah. And you were going to figure out a way, but there was a certain number of serendipitous things that had to happen Absolutely. for you to get to the place. But like the idea of like moving to LA and almost like just deciding to do it and then doing it.
2: Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I think I was 19. And, what was uh, the band then? It was, it was the violators. We, oh. we moved, we decided we were going to be big, like the runaways. And, uh, And but we got there, and we instead, me and my best friend, kind of had a parting at the ways. Which
0: one's that, Marilyn? Oh, okay. Because she
2: had a fake ID and she was going out, and I had this. I was in the horrible apartment by myself. And what did she play? She was the drummer. Okay. I I made her be the drummer (laughs) because she was like really cute, and and it's like, oh, we'll just put you back here. Could she drum? Yeah, she she got really good. Um, but that wasn't totally it. But it was it was really I just didn't want. A female singer that didn't play an instrument yeah and she wanted to play drums so we had a falling out and um, and wait we, we actually just connected again 40. really yeah
0: so okay so that's when so you were just hanging out you were I was hanging out
2: and and it's like one thing I wrote a lot about that people were surprised is that how supportive the the men musicians mm-hmm. were um, yeah and People are interested in that because you always hear about, oh, it's sexist and this and that. And what I I wanted to make sure and acknowledge was that I've never gotten sexism from the male musicians in my life. They were always so supportive and not in a condescending or patronizing way, but as a like, "Yeah, yeah, awesome. And that's what I felt. And I don't know if I would have continued because I looked up to all these guys. I yeah. mean, there weren't women doing what I wanted to do, and I looked up to them so much. And if they had been assholes, yeah, I don't know. I might have it might have crushed me. So it was I was real fortunate to have people like Doug Somm and and Jimmy and the Thunderbirds and all the guys yeah. and, and the the rock and roll guys. Yeah. I mean Eric Johnson gave me a guitar lesson.
1: Oh, when I was did it like. Help?
2: Well, I was, he was really, he was really fucking cute. So I kind of just sat there and and was like enamored. Yeah. But I remember he showed me, um, what did he show me? Like all along the watchtower or something like that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I was just like, and, uh, but he later when, you know, he became known, he, he, one time he said in an interview, like, I gave Kathy a guitar lesson.
0: (laughs) He remembered.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but he was, it was still not like. It was really supportive, and when I finally got to meet my idol, Susie Quatro, and she had a band called The Pleasure Seekers before yeah. she was Susie Quatro with her sisters, and they told me the same thing. They said the guys, the, you know, the, the, like Mark Bolan and the Yardbirds and mm-hmm. all, Bowie and all these people that were musicians supported and encouraged them, and it was always the business people. That, that were like, more like, just not, I don't know if it's awful, but just like not really giving you a credence or, or a legitimacy or validation or anything right, like that.
0: Right. Yeah. It's uh, the executives and the packagers.
2: Yeah. And yeah. the gatekeepers yes. to success.
0: Right. So you get out here with Marilyn. She's on drums. She's got a fake ID. You're stuck at home. I start writing songs. That's how it goes.
2: Yeah. I wrote Can't, the first song I wrote in LA was Can't Stop the World which ended up on the Go-Go's first record. It's just like, to me, how a good song just kind of just stays and stays over yeah, decades. Yeah, it sounds like you
0: reworked it. Even Vacation was reworked over Vacation, time. Vacation,
2: I did with the tech... I wrote it, like, when I was 21, and... The Textones recorded it, and even that, that version. Was, which
0: band was that? That was a band you were in before the the Go Go's.
2: Yeah, no, that was after the punk band. Oh, out, that was out that here. Was, that was my te- uh, my band in in L.A. that oh. um, that played at the prison and jammed with Buddy Miles and Smokey Robinson. Yeah,
0: you got to tell me that story. Like, um, but wait, let's go back. So yeah, so that vacation was uh, originally that, recorded yeah, with them.
2: Yeah, and then when the Go Go's were um, when I got in the Go Go's, and I was like, I want to be one of the writers. So, yeah, what do you got? So I'm like, I got you this, yeah. So uh, and then one night, when I showed it to Charlotte, she goes, "Let's make the chorus like more chorusy, like yeah. pop chorus." And so we wrote that, and that became, you know, Big one hit. of our biggest hits.
0: Yeah. And so how do you? I love this story about how it happens, you know, because it's just one of those things that, you, and you you're very aware of it. That you know, hadn't you been at that club at that moment in that bathroom? I mean, who the fuck <clears throat> knows, right? I mean like what so okay, so you're in the Textones. tones, that's your band, you guys are doing okay or not really?
2: Well, we were we were getting good shows and yeah. stuff and we opened for a lot of cool we opened for the Stranglers and we we played with the Ramones and it seemed all good for a kid. Did you meet the
0: Ramones and hang out?
2: Oh yeah, a bunch of times. And um Nice it, guys. When my favorite thing when we got successful yeah. and I'm talking about the go gos Yeah. Out of all the stuff, like all the gold record, my favorite thing was a telegram from the Ramones. Yeah, that said, "Congratulations, Go Go's. We love you, <laughs> Johnny, Dee Dee, Marky. Everyone's Joey. gone. I can't, so weird. I still can't get over it.
0: Yeah, it's getting so, me choked up.
2: <laughs> so, yeah. We were getting a lot of plenty of shots, but all the bands that were coming up around us were doing better. Like like the Plimsolls uh-huh. and the Go Go's, even who before, before I was yeah. in.
0: Um, you mentioned the Blasters. The
2: Blasters. Everybody was doing good, and I just thought. And the textones seemed like we'd become like me singing my songs and Carla singing her songs. She was my mate. Yeah. yeah. And I just thought I need to leave the band and
0: uh, figure something.
2: Yeah, so I quit and. And I was kind of floundering. I was like, well...
0: And at that time, though, who was it? So, so the X was happening?
2: X was happening and the Weirdos. Yeah. and, and uh,
0: oh, It's just, kind of an exciting time. It uh, was great.
2: L.A. was great during that era. And the
0: punk scene, too?
2: Yeah, the, just the alley cats yeah. and, and and so many cool bands. Right, the right. The Bags and, and yeah, just yeah. so many great bands. And it was a real... It reminded me of growing up in Austin because, like in Austin, I wasn't a snob. I'd go, I'd go like dancing to a country band. I'd go mm-hmm. see a blues band. You see the yeah. cover rock band. So in L.A. when I moved here, there was like, you know, the skinny tie like power pop bands sure. like the uh, uh, Twenty Twenty and um, the No and. All these cool bands, and then there was like the Blasters and the Rockabilly bands, Levi mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, the Rip Chords, and then there was the, the punk bands, mm-hmm. and then the artsy kind of punk bands, and then the hardcore. So there was such a, a variety and spectrum of music, which I I was, took to, because yeah. that's how I grew up. sure.
0: It was all happening at that point. Yeah. It was the, before things started to sort of uh, branch out.
2: Yeah. And the message, and it was really organic. Yeah. Like those organic scenes. There and there was no hair it. metal yet. No. Almost. No.
0: How did, now let's go over this moment, because I think it's a great moment where, you know, you're just like toiling away, writing your songs. And playing with this band, you break up the band.
2: No, no, no. They stayed. They're still. They, they went on. Oh, the
0: tones. The uh, yeah, text tones. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I just left.
0: You left, and you didn't know what was going to happen or what you were going to do.
2: No, I thought. I thought I was. I. I had no no doubts there's something about being young and i don't know i had no doubts like
0: you do just I, knew like you like you like there's something about once you commit to something i know it with comedy as well that either you're going to always have a plan b in your head or you're not yeah and you weren't that kind of person I didn't and i wasn't either b, yeah. there's no yeah it was just sort of like this is gonna and
2: i don't to. know if it's youth or what but i just was like I no. think it's a
0: way of thinking yeah. like you know you just didn't see another option for yourself
2: and uh, but also i was always really determined like i Anything I think anything I had decided I think I would have done well at. Now, I really what, do. I'm
0: oh, sure. Yeah, and what's it's like
2: this? It's like this need to be like I matter. I yeah. matter. I matter. Sure. You know, and yeah. I'm going to show you I matter. And it's all right. like it's like yeah. It's like who you want to matter to is your dad or your mom.
0: Right. But well, I noticed that in the book too, like because I've, I've definitely related to that when you got sober. That there's a certain sort of like, well, I'm going to do this. Like, if it wasn't for me being competitive about my day count, I don't know if I would have stayed sober. Because once I got in... I'll show them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to be the best. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least I'm going to win. Yeah. Somehow.
2: I know. It's a a good quality. And maybe it comes from negative circumstances, but it's... It can bite
0: you in the ass, but sure, it's a good quality. I think
2: it is. And I told my dad on his deathbed, my dad was like, oh, I'm sorry, all this stuff. And I said, you know... Don't be sorry. I go, if you had been there, you would have never let me do what I did. You would have made me go to college and you would have this and that. And I was like, my life went the way it did. And a lot of it's because you weren't there, hmm. you know.
0: How did he take that?
2: I think it. he died the next day. I, <laughs> I think it let him. I think it released him. <laughs> That's not funny. I, but I think it like gave him, I think it absorbed, like, I don't know. You think, absolved him. Yeah, in a weird he was, way.
0: He was living in it. Yeah, that, I yeah. think
2: because we got to we got close in the last eight months of his life, like really close, huh. and uh, we had a lot of serious talks because he was lucid through through his last breath.
0: But but you were able to close that, like as a sober person, to yeah, to take uh, to you know understanding how to handle that stuff. You, it you was
2: really, it. and I said, this is our journey. This uh-huh. is our journey, you know, and it was a really magical and healing and heartbreaking time, but. It was a wonderful conversation to say like yeah, I go it, I'm not gonna say it didn't affect me not having a dad, but yeah. I said I had good relationships, I had good I w had good men in my life. I wasn't I mean, I guess I don't know, I just I'm really practical. It's just I didn't die, you know. Yeah. I'm I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> you <know>? and, and, <laughs> it's like,
0: and, well it's nice, man. It's nice that you were able to, to get that to let him off the hook.
2: Yeah, I think it's important.
0: So Okay, so the, you're you're kind of um, in between bands, yeah, and you don't really, you know, you're driven, but you don't know what's next. You kind of all throughout the book, you're sort of like, I I knew, you know, I had to make something happen. Yeah, something had to give. Yeah, yeah. And what's your use? What what's your drug use at that point?
2: Um, I was doing well. Alcohol has always been my sure. my main thing, and I think I really liked cocaine because I could drink longer. Sure,
0: but like at the time you met. Oh. Charlotte
2: I was doing like drinking always drinking and then when I could get my hands on it I would do blow. blow yeah cause... So
0: what what was the moment like what what ha- walk me through that meeting with her
2: Well I was at it was Christmas night and there's this amazing flyer that's from the whiskey that has yeah. like Susie Quattro who was my first like person that, your hero Yeah that made me go I can oh, be in your a your role model yeah, yeah and then there was uh some of my friends bands and then there was X playing that night, and oh. then there was my first show. That, so, they on one flyer from the yeah. whiskey, it's in my book. It's such a cool flyer, it's like about my whole life. To
0: yeah. see X at that time must have been pretty much great.
2: Well, they rolled, you yeah. know, and they still do. They're, yeah. they're still, I mean, amazing to me. Um, but yeah, I was, my mom had come out to visit. I'm, li- I'm like staying up on Sunset Plaza at a friend's house, and uh, she's out of town, and mm-hmm. I'm just Christmas with my mom, and then I go down to the whiskey to mm-hmm. see X. And I see Charlotte from the Go Go's, and she's like, "Hey, what do you play bass?" And I'm like, "Yeah."
0: But you didn't, right?
2: No, but I mean, I, it's not <laughs> like I had never held one. Or sure, anything, sure. But, I know.
0: I get it. you can play I, guitar. You can say yes. That's what
2: I figured. Sure. And then she just like says, "Well, our bass player is sick, and we got some. We got four shows at the Whiskey coming up, and I was just like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And um, I went home right away, and just like my all gears were just churning. Sure. And I was like called her the next day, get me a cassette. Yeah, yeah. And I borrowed a bass and I I learned their whole set and it became clear and I had seen the Go-Go's. I'd seen them when I first moved to L.A. What did you think of them? When I first moved to yeah. L.A., I didn't take them seriously. And then I saw them when they came back from England and Gina Schock had joined as the drummer. And I was like, oh, okay, this band is, is cool. Yeah. But um, I didn't know their song. I wasn't like a fan right, where right. I, I went all this, to every show or anything. Yeah. But listening to that rehearsal tape and learning their songs, I was like, man, I like this band. Uh-huh. I like these songs. These, this is a good band. And as soon as I got in the room with them, it was like everything I'd ever looked for. Sure. It's like I wanted yeah. to be in an all-female band. I wanted to be in a band that, that got somewhere. Like yeah. all the bands I looked up to, there yeah. was no women bands. Yeah. And I was just like, so to me, it was like it just checked off every box of everything yeah. I'd wanted. And I fell in love. Yeah. I fell in love with that band.
0: And was it, yeah. Was it... I
2: would have played the freaking tambourine. I would have done anything. At that point, to be in that band, I just loved them.
0: And, and and did and it took how long did it take to really click?
2: Oh, right away. Oh yeah, yeah. Like within, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but after eight shows at the Whiskey, and the the press talked about the shows, and within like maybe at the most two weeks, I'm just like, in my mind, I'm just like, I gotta be in this band. I got And then they asked me to stay, and I was like, yep, yep. Wow. And then four months later, we were had a record deal.
0: It's interesting though; it didn't happen overnight, mm-hmm. and it was a real struggle because of the perception of women.
2: Yeah, correct. Well, it was uh, what our manager was told repeatedly was: "There's, it's cool, good band. We can see that they're popular, but there's never been a, a, a successful—that's what they would say—successful all-female band." And, and uh,
0: they, I, I felt like they they saw it as a novelty or something.
2: Yeah, and we were considered a novelty. I mean, I write in the book like on our first tour, we did everything, and everybody nobody passed on us. Like every radio person, they and it wasn't like they wanted to meet us so they could add us to the programming. Right. They just wanted to see. They wanted to like be see what we were like. Yeah. So to, there was a something about the novelty that appealed to people. Right. But, but it didn't help. In terms of getting a record deal or getting airplay or that's what people don't realize like i i wrote in the book i don't even know if i realize stuff until i meticulously yeah, it happens
0: with the process of writing yeah because yeah. you're
2: and when you're procrastinating like yeah. you still want to feel like you're doing shit, so yeah. you're like researching and getting sure. everything right so i know re- so you
0: learn you learn things about yourself because you you have to you, they come out of you yeah and you put things together right yeah and yeah.
2: the first thing i did before i started was i made Playlist of every song of every year. So, and I would just play it while I was writing because the music oh, wow. took me right back to that minute. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Like every. Every it just never failed. It's like oh, that's how I felt. I know how I felt because I'm listening to this, and yeah, that's yeah. what I was listening to then.
0: But also like the 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 kind of detail you put into you know showing you know not just getting the record deal, but once the record was out, how you had to slog that thing, you know, get out there. The amount of promo you had to do and the amount of time it takes that back then to sort of mine a record for hits to make hits, yeah. And the sort of you know uh, serendipitous creation of mtv and that you were there at the beginning of what really defined them in terms of making you you know uh hits
2: yeah that's that's i think that's one of the reasons we succeeded because it was the rogue djs the college djs mtv saturday night live
0: like was huge for us but like you had like it, it was this was vinyl records and you had to hit everything and you had to sell those pieces you know, a yeah, record yeah and it just kept building. I didn't realize until I really read, and I just read Jerry Wexler's autobiography, but you know, but the, the amount of time it took to make that record a hit, to get... Nine you know,
2: months uh, it took to get uh, Our Lips Are Sealed, the first single. It took nine months of solid touring for it to go to like,
0: 26 isn't that that's crazy Nine months. To me? and then it and was saturday started. night live and mtv that took it over the top
2: that and opening for the police so it was like
0: ah uh, right we
2: just it was like just that synchronicity of of things that kind of and then people i mean fans like and for us it wasn't like like every even when we were in a van and playing all the clubs that circuit of clubs that every band hits yeah They were sold out. I mean, so you feel like you're succeeding compared to where you come from. Like a sold out club in Atlanta or a sold out club in you know Minnesota or Minneapolis is like um, that's like success. Sure. Like what makes you think that you can go do that everywhere? So I call it pinnacles of success because every little thing along the way to me was like my dream had come true. Right. And so it's not like you're like waiting, sitting around waiting for a hit to. To me
0: to me it felt
2: like it like it was like just to be able to be on tour. To just, be
0: popular, to be in a great band. Yeah, and to, to be making
2: a record in New York City, you know, to be like
0: And John Belushi took a liking to you?
2: Yeah. And and like people like people that are icons loving your band. It's like there's so much good shit happening. You're, the last thing you're worried about is whether you have a hit.
0: Yeah. You know? Right. And and but how was Belushi? Great guy?
2: So great. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. I
0: it's like it was so it was it's interesting in in, in the sort of the one of the through lines of the book is you, you know, sort of not realizing you have a drug problem, even though you, it wasn't massive, but in, a few people around you went down. Yeah. But you couldn't compare yourself to that because d- you weren't a dope person. Or
2: yeah. Whatever. I, I felt like I felt like, oh, I don't know. I think that's part of what. An, uh, an alcoholic addict does is they sure. look at everybody else yeah. and, and think that they're worse.
0: I was one of those people, like, I don't do heroin. Yeah. I, it's not my bag.
2: Yeah, you think that they're worse. So, And plus you're fun. Like I kept, I was fun.
0: Yeah. I don't know how you would know unless you ask Charlotte about it. You know, how much you because it seemed like everyone else was partying as well, but do you really have a sense of how much your substance abuse and alcoholism affected you know the decisions the bands made made around you
2: well looking back what i realized is that um it made me a a stunted like emotional like infant Mm. i mean i was just like i I had no capacity for compassion or empathy Mm. or for understanding what someone else was going through and there's things i think my my drinking definitely affected the band even if it was I can only be responsible for my part, but there was people right next to me who I considered my sisters that were going through things that it just like went.
0: Yeah, because you were worried about yourself. It's like you know,
2: yeah. It's like a well, it's just like you're just a teenager, and you're
0: self obsessed. They they
2: say when you start drinking, like an alcoholic, that you
0: that's when you stop.
2: Yeah, and like when you get sober, you you're at the emotional. So when I got sober, I was like a. Like a fourteen-year-old emotionally, yeah,
0: I I I, I buy that. So once you uh, once you you guys are rising and become this huge band, it it seems that you didn't think it would ever end.
2: Oh, I never (laughs) thought it would end. I mean, for the for everyone but but me and Gina, it was their first band, pretty much. Charlotte had been in a band, but it was their. But Gina and I had been like we'd been trying to make it. Well, for a year, like four yeah, years. Four years, and you're like 22. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but to me, it was like nobody would ever, and like to me, the main focus of my life was to keep it because this span represented not only my dream come true and getting to do all the stuff, but it meant I could take care of myself, and no one had ever taken care of me. And to be able to really take care of yourself was huge to me. It was like... I and, have security now. I and, never felt secure
0: and 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 through that uh, through the agreements with IRS records and, and whatever was going on, you felt that you were compensated properly.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh,
0: you guys did good.
2: oh, yeah. I mean, for the time, yeah, and yeah, I mean yeah. to me i i I was poor growing up, so to me, like I mean, when I joined the band, we were getting like our rent paid in forty bucks a week and by the label? No, by just the band, Uh-oh. and I was getting unemployment, and yeah. like I thought, this is great. And then, yeah. <laughs> then you got off
0: unemployment. <laughs>
2: yeah, and then I got <laughs> like fifteen hundred a month. You know, when we started doing better, and I, like, so to me, just getting anything.
0: And the contracts were good. That like, publishing it seemed like was like divvied up pretty well.
2: Well, everyone was smart to keep their publishing. Yeah, you know, so we all the songwriters kept their publishing, and our. The deals were as good as what they were. I mean, we just re- renegotiated our, our royalty rate for with uh, the people that own the masters now. Just now? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because they're they the, it's a them? deal
2: that's from like 1980. You know? Interesting. Yeah.
0: And do the songs still make money? Oh, Yeah. Really?
2: Yeah, I've been making money off vacation for like 40 years. It's crazy. No, it's not always. It might be like six grand one year.
0: But like but if, a might, it, yeah, if, if a commercial uses Yeah, if a commercial
2: happens, it's like, and when you're like broke, because yeah. I've been up and down in this business, and when you're broke, you're just like, come on, come on. <laughs> somebody and it,
0: make a commercial. And it
2: never happens. But when, when you're not broke, yeah. it's like all comes. It's it's a weird like universal law. Yeah,
0: and I think it was sort of interesting that there this idea, like I, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about how you know all the 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 kind of soup of different styles that you came out of in LA and the fact that punk wasn't that far behind you guys that you did represent a kind of a new um mode like something an accessible sort of uh punky like it wasn't it wasn't really new wave because you guys were rock but there was something that represented everything that was going on at that time
2: I think so and I I think that Like, I really don't think the Go-Go's get a lot of credit for just being an indie band. Mm -hmm. Like, Forget being the first—I mean, don't forget, but besides being the the first all-female band that had a number one record that that we wrote and performed and everything, we were also one of the first indie bands to get huge. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And— after us, there was like REM and, you know, right. they got big labels because they, like a lot of the big labels looked at IRS and what they were doing. IRS was our little label. Yeah. And I think a lot of bands benefited from our success. And I don't know if we get credit for we, that. Well,
0: you know, we never get the credit we should.
2: No, we got to tell them. <laughs> get a big I like sandwich that.
0: board. There's still a little alcoholic thinking in there. It's like, where's, how come there's no plaque Where's their, you know what I mean? Where's mine? Exactly. God damn it. Doesn't <laughs> that go away? Come on, 31 years. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. It's, it's not even the, I think it's just the age. It's like you get to be like, I mean, you just get to a point where it's like, why are you even doing it? It's not like you're trying to be the most relevant person in the world, yeah. but it's like. You're just doing it because that's what you do. And like the validation just isn't that important. I hope
0: so. I mean, I get that. Well, that's another vibe I get throughout the book where it's just like it took you a long time to let that shit go, man.
2: Oh, yeah. So
0: you got the big hit record. Then you do another record with your song on it, Vacation, which is also a big hit, but it didn't sell as much as the first record. Yeah. And when you went out on the road, it was a little different. But you guys played Madison Square Garden. Yeah, you d- did big deals.
2: The the second record didn't sell as many, but we were touring at our peak. We were headlining arenas. Right. So it didn't feel that bad <laughs> right. that you sold 2 million instead of 4 million. Um, but the third record, I, have, I call it, the chapter is called "Shrinking and Sinking" because yeah. you're playing. Now you're selling hundreds of thousands. Like if we'd started Records. like that, yeah, that's fine. Right. But when you go from millions, you start feeling like you're like you're uh, on the decline.
0: And it's it's a sad story, but it's not an unusual story. Yeah. In rock and roll, really, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to follow up uh, 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 the first hit record, and certainly the second hit record, because yeah, you know, the, I guess the expectation. It either becomes I like, keep repeating yourself or let's try to find lightning in a bottle again I mean in general right well we wanted
2: we went through a phase with the third record where where it became like really important that we be taken seriously mm. you know and I think like we toured
0: In what way? I don't know. What does that mean?
2: I don't know. I mean, like, like,
0: that was the other thing I was, like, you know, your regret around not selling out in a way. Like, you know, when you guys had opportunities, when your songs were huge to be used in in marketing, you guys were like, everyone democratically decided we don't want to sell out. And then, like, all of a sudden you see, I remember when Lou Reed did that fucking Vespa ad. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. But now there's no shame at all to a degree. It's just part of the business. It's part of your personal branding.
2: Well, it's like, unfortunately, you know, marketing and, and, and that has just permeated every Everything. aspect That's right. of, of yeah. life. Right, so, yeah, right, So, and a musician is going to, you know, like any artist, they're going to do what you can to, to do your art,
0: right. you know? and to make money, yeah. if you want to make money. Yeah. But then, you know, by the time you guys decided to do it, you know, it was sort <laughs> Suzuki, well, the Suzuki yeah. 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 and it was like
2: yeah. a big flop.
0: So, okay, but tell me about this idea that you wanted to be taken seriously on well, the was, third record.
2: Yeah, I don't know. We were just kind of consumed with that. I think there was a backlash from just being... It's like these like frothy I mean I went I have all the press, and when I was mm-hmm. writing the book, I'm looking and I'm like they're just keep saying these things like, <laughs> like bouncy oh, and right, frothy, right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. cute and right, and I'm just like, really, we're just like a rock and roll band, and I think I think we were kind of backlashing against that and just wanted to be taken seriously so you
0: they thought you were cute and they, that, that's you know, what they would say was, just because it, we're again, girls, a gimmick or a novelty or whatever.
2: I don't know what it was, it was yeah. just like I mean it, And I've talked to journalists that say, well, you guys weren't exactly doing stuff to counter that. I'm like, well, well, what? We were just being ourselves. Like, what would we do to counter it? And sometimes it's like you'd go to a photo session and – this, they'd have a stylist and they'd be like, oh, we thought you could wear this. And right, a, a right. lot of times we'd be like, no, fuck that. We're not doing that. But a lot of times you'd be like, yeah, whatever. Give it, you know, you just want to go back to your hotel room.
0: Right. And, and like, whatever's going
2: to make it fast. Yeah,
0: and then there's some dumb pictures out in the oh, world. Oh, there's I some
2: mean. hideous pictures. Like, <laughs> like unbelievably <laughs> yeah. hideous pictures where we're like being dressed up like little dolls. Yeah. You know?
0: So on those first two tour, on the first two records, I mean, you guys toured the world. I mean, we did a lot of dates, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, we did a lot of like dates. Like,
0: that was, you you put the hours in. And we you didn't guys say no.
2: Pretty. I think it took, it took till, like, we broke up and got back together, which isn't in, in this book, but it took us, like, till we were in our 30s to, like, understand that you can say no mm. and go, no, we're not doing that.
0: So, when you did finally, like, when things started to come unglued, it was around that third record, right?
2: Yeah, things were just falling apart like crazy. Because
0: people wanted to do their own thing or what? Uh,
2: just a, a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, definitely the the, the alcohol and yeah. stuff was playing a play uh, uh, and the drugs. But, you know, Jane quit the band and it's like chemistry. You take one crucial element out and the chemistry is different. And all I cared about was like, we got to keep going. We got to keep this together. OK, Jane's leaving, but we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. And
0: you couldn't see being without them.
2: Couldn't see it. I mean, I was by that time I was completely wrapped up. I was like—I wasn't even—there wasn't even—like, you couldn't have said, hey, you used to go see the T-Birds in Austin. Right. It was like I was go-go, Kathy. Right. And thank God I learned—like, I realized that I'm me, you know. But uh, after losing it all, but thank goodness I lost it all. But at the time— That's all I wanted was to keep the band and.
0: Well, the buzz of being that big must have been amazing. The sort of cachet and and entree you had into worlds that you didn't have before, and and then just the the touring and the money and the. I wanted
2: long. I just wanted to be like. I wanted to be the Stones. You know, I wanted to be around for albums and. I think that was an
0: interesting observation you made in the book about. Um, you know, how they weren't, you know, oh, this idea that, like, why can't someone else sing it? Why can't someone else play it? Like, you know, you probably should have let that happen.
2: We should have, like, grown and changed, but we were really rigid, and, you know, again, like, going back at that time when it fell apart, one of the first things that made it fall apart was Jane said, I want to sing a song. And right. We were like, no, no, this isn't the way the band is.
0: That seems crazy to me. Yeah, I, now you it look does. At, but, yeah, you yeah. look back at that, but in that moment... Do you un- do you understand the reasoning that went into you guys thinking?
2: Well, that? we started thinking like, well, what if everybody wants to sing a song? Yeah, what if? And what you know? Then what's Belinda going to do? Belinda's the star. She's the she's the the singer. How, so,
0: why was that established like that?
2: Because it, it was working, and it it's was, just the uh, way it was. It's just the way it was. And I didn't mind. I mean, I had a template in my mind of the Stones, you know. Yeah, so, but Keith
0: always sang a couple, and yeah. he played bass on some shit.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we but we just you know, and we didn't have a lot of guidance by that point either. Uh-huh. Our our, our long term manager was gone. We had like suits basically managing managing us, and we weren't guided. We were like like unparented, right? And uh, no one really keeping. You know, by that time, I think it, they were, like, glad to see us break up because then they could just focus on the star and get rid of these other ones. They were just a pain in the ass.
0: Huh. So so when, once Jane left, you guys tried to keep the band together? Yeah. And we you got, brought someone else in? Yeah, we
2: brought someone in. I moved to guitar, which was, like, my—I was, like, happy about because I, I wanted to play—I like playing guitar. I like playing bass, too. But, you yeah. know, if I if there was an opening, yeah. I would take that one. Yeah. And— um. Uh, so, yeah, and we, we just tried, but Charlotte got sober and came back, and I didn't get it. I thought, oh, good, she's back, and we're going to go on now mm-hmm. with sober Charlotte. Yeah. But I didn't realize at the time how it was asking way too much for a newly sober person to just jump in with all these dysfunctional—well, and sure. I shouldn't lump everyone because right. pretty much— You? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not going to tell other people's story. Right, right, but, sure. But I was definitely like, why, I couldn't see, like, why wouldn't you want to go write songs with me? You know, right. don't worry, I won't do any blow in front of you. Yeah, yeah,
0: sure. <laughs> that thing we all do. Are you okay if I, uh, yeah, you don't mind if I drink, do you? Yeah, that kind of <laughs> thing. So, didn't work.
2: No, it, it fell apart and I was devastated. But I also couldn't foresee, like, if you told me, like, hey, in 2020, you're still going to be relevant, and people, your music's still going to matter, and yeah. you're still going to have a career that is a part of your life but isn't your life. I yeah. mean, if I'd known that, I would have been like, Yeah, good,
0: right? No, <laughs> but, but at the time, it, it
2: just felt like that was like the it, and it. it was all going to end. But I mean, it's insane. This band has,
0: but you know, it did end though. I mean, you, I mean, it, it's like. Yeah, I mean, every, you know, things have like ebbed and flowed, and things have happened. But I mean, you know, you were fucked for years, years. after that. Yeah, and and it, you know, and the you know, I can't imagine the amount of booze and drugs and men that you know, especially someone with your kind of like uh, compulsion. What it took to sort of like keep the those demons at bay, just the, the resentment demons or the jealousy demons. You know, when Belinda, like you write about, you know, Belinda's career taking off and it's just like it's fucking that kind of like bile and like heart crushing jealousy is just horrendous.
2: Well, except I can't say that it was jealousy and and stuff. What it was more like was. I it was just like what you were saying. It's like I deserve it too. I've never begrudged right, anybody right, else success, right. um, and I because I know what kind of work goes into it. So right. it wasn't so much I was eaten alive with jealousy, right. but what it was was like I deserve Why my did, shot too. Right, right. I'm good. Where's
0: mine? Yeah. Where's yeah, mine? Yeah. You
2: know, and I'm just, I'm working my ass off. I'm putting a band together, and we're a good band. And I'm playing at the clubs, and I'm starting over, and I'm doing everything the right way, and and I've got. Big producers and I've got big people like that believe in me. So oh,
0: there's some real heartbreak in that in that stuff where, yeah. you know, it, when, you know, the singing just didn't work out and just like, ugh.
2: oh, it was painful. It was so painful because I just wanted to be in a band.
0: And then that horrible thing that happens when you're in your new house.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck was that? It was crazy. It was like what they call a home invasion robbery now, but back then it was just insanity.
0: But you guys were just partying or well, you were yeah, sleeping? We, we or, partied. Or it was and you and Charlie? And- me,
2: me and Charlie Sexton and Carlene Carter and we were we stayed up writing songs, just having a good old time, and probably conked out like yeah. around dawn. Right, and then like a few hours later, a guy and I don't know what he's doing at the top of Sunset Plaza. It's like I mean, how did the hell do you get up there? Yeah, and but he apparently came into the house and woke up. Woke. They were in my guest room, and and then proceeded to terrorize us and and psychologically just like. It was. I mean, I'll never forget it. I still cry. I mean, I didn't cry till I wrote about it. And
0: it seemed very bizarre what, how it, it he went about doing all this shit. Yeah,
2: it was crazy. And like I wrote, he a, ties you guys up. Yeah, he tied us up, and uh, he he like threatened us, and he's he's then he said he was going to kidnap me, and and he got butcher knives from my kitchen that he was going to, I guess put in our backs or yeah. something. And uh, I had a struggle with him. And I just kept, your mind is just like churning. And what you don't realize is how you're just ingrained from the time you're a kid. Like, be good, do what you're told. You won't get in trouble. You won't get punished. But you're also... So that's all there. And then I got to survive. I got to survive. I got two people. He's. I'm sure he's by himself. We can take him. Come on, guys. Let's take him. No, do what he... So you can't get everyone... Like, you can't do it by yourself.
0: And you ended up running out. I ended ended up pretending
2: like I was tied up, but I wasn't. And so my only thing... They were tied up, my friends. And he kept wandering around the house and stealing stuff and just and I just...
0: He sounded like a crazy person.
2: I think he was a crazy person. But he was also, I think he had military background because uh. he kept using terms. But I wrote a song, I did a soundtrack to this book. When I was done, I just didn't feel done. And I yeah. wrote a song about that chapter and uh, I just was sobbing when I wrote. It's weird, like the writing the music opened things up on a deeper uh. level.
0: So you wrote a bunch of original music mm-hmm. for the soundtrack? Yeah, I gotta oh, give it great. to you,
2: yeah. And the the same with the chapter where I got raped. I just wrote about it. I'm like, oh, it sucked, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I wrote the song.
0: When was that? When 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 did that happen? That
2: was like 14. I was 14, and I hitchhiked to Houston and, and got in a bad situation. But at, in my mind, it was never rape because I'd gotten myself in a bad situation, and the guy wasn't leaving me alone, so I finally just said, just do it. So I— uh, I wrote the song called Just Do It, and as soon as I wrote the lines, if I can't stop you, I can let you. Like, just like trying to get that power of of being powerless. And it was like a key that unlocked that 14-year-old thing. And I, for three days, I was like a, a mess. I was like sobbing and mourning. Like, why wasn't anybody fucking taking care of me? Why was anybody looking out for me? Why wasn't this guy leaving me alone? You know, and what I wrote in the book was like I was promiscuous. It wasn't like I didn't have sex, and it was all really a memorable bad sex. But that was the only time I never forgot because I sobbed. I was crying the whole time, which was a bummer for him.
0: Yeah. Well, but <laughs> because you realized you'd been, you know, I
2: didn't want to do it. I yeah. didn't. I mean, the other times I had had sex, it might have been. For maybe I liked him, or maybe I right. just didn't give a shit, or maybe right. I was just fucked up, and there was nothing to do. But it was always because I was like okay with it. Right. But that was the one time I wasn't okay with it, and even even in the '70s, where everybody was just having sex a lot, yeah, it 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 was just in a box. It was just buried, and Ugh. I wrote about it, and then I wrote the song. And I I'm scared to do the song in public. I'm scared I'll just cry every time I do it. I cry.
0: But that's okay. Eventually, I think it's
2: uncomfortable for people when you just start like crying. I guess that's
0: – maybe it's true. Maybe, okay, but what you if mean, you were doing a show and just started crying. I've cried before publicly, and I, you know, uh, you, you know, you can choke it back. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I well, I do comedy, so it's a little different. But I mean, like, that yeah, can... would be really bad. <laughs> no, it's funny. I tell you, just wait a minute. Just wait. A minute. <laughs> yeah. But so between you know that uh, horrible event and then you know the break in. I mean, those—that's heavy shit, man.
2: It was—it was like that was—that was like something that I had PTSD for for years, and you know, I, I'm still friends with with uh, Charlie and Carlene, and we still talk about what How
0: it, horrible it was.
2: Oh yeah, it was like we thought we were going to die. Yeah. We thought we were going to die.
0: Oh my god. We thought
2: we were going to be murdered at the yeah. top of Sunset it Plaza. Might have been. Well, that's what the police told me when when they came. And I was like, uh. I just yeah. kept talking to him. I just kept talking to him. Did I do the right thing? And the guy, the cop's like, you're alive. You did the right thing. you know.
0: Because
2: <laughs> yeah. to me, I just kept thinking, I got to be human. I got to be a human being. And I kept joking with him. Interesting. I was like, he'd say like, where's the drugs? Where's the drugs? And I'd be like, oh, you should have come by a few hours ago. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just kept trying to be like real yeah. person.
0: So this is during the period where you don't have a band anymore. Yeah,
2: that's eighty-five. That happened.
0: So, I like that you know, you moving towards hitting bottom involved you know some more heroes in a way because you were still pretty fucked up when somehow or another you managed to meet Keith Richards finally. Yeah, and it's so funny because when I met him, when I interviewed Keith Richards, I hadn't smoked in a decade, and did
2: you ask for a cigarette?
0: Well, what ha- I did, <laughs> you know, and, and but I was I was on nicotine lozenges. I just wanted to hold it because he was smoking Reds. So I'm just fucking holding it, and he's smoking. And at some point during the interview, he threw a lighter at me, and I fucking lit it. And I hadn't smoked in a decade, and I thought in my head like, Well, I'm on the nicotine lozenges. I'm not going to get hooked. And then so, you were
2: hooked right away, right? No, oh,
0: but but I was happy to smoke my one cigarette in a decade with Keith. No, I stayed on the nicotine lozenges.
2: Oh, that's good.
0: Yeah, I didn't go back to see. See, I'm
2: like, if I smoked one, if I smoked one now, I'd be, I'd be smoking a. Well, back. I was
0: on nicotine lozenges for a decade, man. I just, I'm six months off of that shit, and I'm going squirrely right now. Oh, that's I'm great, of though. I'm full rage and insanity.
2: Yeah, but you know, nicotine's it's net, it's really it's bad, fucked, man. And it's like, it like what I realize is how much it keeps you a wall away from connecting with people. Hey,
0: unfortunately. When you remove that wall from me, it's usually a lot of hostility. (laughs) You might want that wall up. (laughs) You know, I'm dealing with it right now. I'm squirrely now. I don't know why. You know, it's it's hard.
2: It's uncomfortable. It hits me
0: like six months in. I always start up something, smoke a cigar, get back on the nicotine or something. I think this might be the longest I've been with like nothing, nothing.
2: So, how are you doing? Different. What are you doing different?
0: I need to start doing something different. I'm not doing enough different. I had to go to a fucking meeting tonight or something. I don't want to drink or nothing, but yeah, yeah, no, I'm squirrely. I
2: yeah, I know that. I, I get really uncomfortable just being my in my skin. It feels
0: itchy, like on from the inside.
2: I just feel, get really uncomfortable. Yeah, and I get, and the older you get, the worse it gets, because then you're getting uncomfortable about like real shit that's probably going to happen.
0: Right. to you. So
2: then you pile that on there. Oh,
0: the real shit. Problem.
2: Yeah, it's like, oh, I got a stomach ache. What does that what mean? That?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Like, oh, I've got a toothache. I'm gonna get my brain's gonna get infected. Right. Oh yeah, like, that's shit, the... you don't even think about. It. Good stuff. <laughs> it's all about like dental work and pooping when you're past sixty.
0: That's for sure. Yeah, is everything working? <laughs> yeah, everything okay? <laughs> is that what is that lump? What is that? Was that spot there? So you meet Keith.
2: I couldn't it's, believe it because I thought I'd meet him when we got to open for the stones. Yeah. I thought I'd meet him then, and it didn't happen. And and it's like I've been pretty good most of my life. Like I just think of people. Like I don't. If I meet somebody, I don't want to be like, oh, I saw you at this concert." Sure. I, I want to yeah have I a wanna, real moment. Yeah. So yeah. I I've always kind of just remembered they're just people, and if you want to, you just talk about something. And uh, to actually meet him and then tell him about my guitar and
0: oh yeah, that you're gonna leave it to him.
2: Yeah, and he was really. And then later in the '90s. I got to cross paths with him a couple. He actually played that Strat.
0: He did? Yeah, he
2: played it. <laughs> and uh, and I was at, I was at uh, Don Was's studio. Uh-huh. And like at one point I was like, I go, everyone, I, every guy I know that I, I've i said, you know, show me something on the guitar. We show me a couple of your favorite licks? So yeah. it was like when a, it didn't fall in the time frame of this story, but it was my favorite Keith.
0: And what he play? what he show you?
2: Well, we were talk I was really, really into blues, like really going deep into blues. Yeah. So he was like, do you know this? And I'd be like, Yeah, I've learned oh, yeah. that one and yeah. and I'd say like, Do you know Frankie Lee Sims? And he'd like like, Yeah, Lucy May blues and yeah, yeah. it was just like bonding on, on like oh, Texas great. blues. It was really cool.
0: Oh, that's beautiful.
2: And it's not like I don't know if he saw me if he like I don't know if he'd be like, "Hey, Kath," but it right. was still for me. It was good enough as a lifelong fan.
0: Yeah, and then your bottom somehow managed to involve uh, Johnny Thunders somehow.
2: Yeah, my last drunk, uh, I blacked out, and I I wasn't a big blackout drinker. I had, I had really bad hangovers by that time that would make me. I would wake up sometimes because hmm. when I would drink. I would just do things that I normally wouldn't do. I'd do drugs I normally wouldn't do. I'd yeah. have sex with people I normally wouldn't have sex with, mm. and so I woke up with a lot of shame mm. and physical horror. But I didn't have a lot of blackouts, yeah. and that was the second blackout that I'd had, and and it was a really bad hangover, and I was just, I just was done. I was that done. was it,
0: and and someone had planted the seed, Carleen.
2: Carlene had gotten sober, and
0: a lot of people, I guess, in your life had gotten sober, but you may not have known all of them at that time. Huh?
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, Charlotte and I weren't friends right. at that time. I mean, I called Charlotte four months into my sobriety. I still had her phone number in my brain. I'm like, ah, I'm sober. That's
0: a great, like, you know. But before I uh, go into the sober part, how, how was it seeing Johnny Thunder's live?
2: Oh well, I've got to sit. I was blacked out while he played, but I always got to sit in the rehearsal, and oh. I and I'd seen him other places too. I I mean I I'm a big Johnny Thunders fan. I mean yeah. I, he was just like some people are just the real deal.
0: So when you when you had the moment of clarity where you found the window to to make the decision to go to a meeting, um, how was your resolve? You wrote a nice little passage on that mixture of everything you about who you are, wants to keep using, but you can't anymore.
2: Well, it's like, it was like, I felt so bad. It was easy when I made the decision, but the next day I felt a little better. Mm. And I, immediately the doubt was like, well, maybe I should, maybe I should.
0: Yeah, I can still I, use. Maybe, yeah.
2: maybe I should wait a, a little while. <laughs> yeah. I'll do this tomorrow. Yeah, I'll yeah. do it next week. Yeah. I'll get back to LA first. Right. And it was, I was just so demoralized with my life and my inability to, to, make anything happen i couldn't i was doing i was putting bands together and people were giving me breaks and nothing was happening oh
0: the sad story about playing gigs where no one was showing up yeah
2: and and it's like i was i was getting i had things but nothing was working out nothing and even like having a great boyfriend that wasn't working nothing was anything good wasn't working nothing nothing bad nothing good yeah and i just there was just something about that thought like if i stopped drinking One thing will change. And if one thing changes, maybe that's enough to fucking feel better about my life. Oh, wow. And it's like, so I didn't want to, even though I felt better and thought, well, maybe I'll wait. Part of me was able to hold on to that thought. Like, no, one thing's going to change. You're going to make this. This is this you can do this you yeah. can change this one thing yeah. you can't get a career you can't make your band happen you can't right you can't be financially secure you can't be happening and all that but you can do this yeah and that will change and it was like the it's the foundation of everything good i yeah. mean i'm sitting here now because yeah. i got sober yeah I'm, i have a daughter now because i got sober i i'm surrounded by loved ones and I get to be in the go-gos and I get to throw my guitar in the car and go play a gig at the Continental Club and I get to do all this shit cuz I'm sober and it's like it's like the best thing but yeah going back to that moment I think what I said was like there's something divine about it there's right. a divine moment and if you blow it off and I've seen it happen I've seen a lot of people where they like I was real close I was right at that point like I'll yeah. I'll go back to L.A. and then I'll get sober. Yeah. And if you, who knows whether you're going to make it.
0: That's right. And it's it's still a day at a time for a lot of people.
2: That was like a life-changing moment to realize that I could lose my sense of self and come back.
0: Well, right, because you had all this sort of like, you know, insane trauma and PTSD and emotional stifling of a lifetime.
2: Stuffed down, yeah. Yeah,
0: but like, you know, and it all had to come, you know, flying out of you
2: and it, when it happened i mean i'd been sober for like i guess 9 months or something and it Wouldn't was that it was terrifying it was like absolutely terrifying but um i i think uh, like what i said was like i had to the first thing was like i got to know i can have a good time yeah cuz i associated every good time oh, yeah, with yeah. drinking i
0: like that stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i
2: like the first right. thing was like just if i can have a good time i can do this that yeah. took a while I didn't have a good time for a while. Yeah. I was just hanging in there. I
0: don't know if I have a good time in general. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. I do okay sometimes, (laughs) you know what I mean? I like to, but even with me, it's like most of the good feelings come from like stuff that's compulsive, you know, like eating or what, you know what I mean? Or like buying a thing, getting a new guitar, you know, like.
2: No, I'm I'm still it's uncomfortable being a human. It's just it really, is.
0: really I'm, I I'm terrible. it's I and I have fucking food issues. I'm fucking too. squirrely as shit, man.
2: Me too. I like it I'm really ritualistic, like yeah. where I'll do the same thing every day right. until like I replace it with something else. Yeah. Like I gotta have this this bagel. Right. Every but don't day.
0: don't you ever just sort of like go fuck it and just eat a pie.
2: No, No, that's good. But, uh, but I'll, but I do have issues with food, but I mean, I'm really, I mean, my daughter, like she came home one day and I was like peeling the paint off the wall, like, like strip by strip. And she's like, mom, and I would go out and do it like all the time and she'd come. What
0: do you mean, for what reason?
2: Just because I was like obsessive. Oh, oh, oh. Like, I don't know why. I just yeah, had yeah. to peel it off. Yeah. And she'd be like, Mom, are you peeling the pain again? And I'd be like, yeah, you should try it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: and
2: she, she kind of starts peeling. She goes, this is weird. You're yeah, weird. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> but she tried. So what, and what ultimately happened with the girls, the go-go's, like after all said and done, what you guys are okay now?
2: We're we're like actually levels of okay that I didn't even know about could happen. Like
0: how many times have you guys gotten back together?
2: Well, a lot of people don't realize this, but we broke up in eighty five. Yeah. We got back in ninety, we did a a tour, we broke up for like four years. From like ninety five almost all the way to two thousand and twelve. Yeah. We toured a lot we did a lot of cool shit we like played at uh Muhammad ali's like f- uh, fight for life thing we uh-huh. did like we played at the kennedy compound or we mardi gras floats all yeah. kinds of opportunities that aren't like in the the, the original eye. lineup oh yeah so this happened and we tour in the summer we tour with the b52s or we do the do fun tours we've had a, a really good career for a, yeah. a long time but it was a part of our life it wasn't the whole life right the musical on Broadway came out in 2017, and I was a part of it. The go
0: musical? Yeah. Did it last? Did it It run? lasted
2: six months on Broadway, and now it's like at 200. Like, high schools are doing it. It's really cool. Oh, it's wow. It's really cool. It's all over the country. Like Do you make money off of that? No. No. Oh. No, there's like so many investors that okay. will get paid before <laughs> I ever see it. Right. I mean, we made a little bit when right. it was on Broadway, because we were the... the Composers, right? It was all our music. Oh, sure, yeah. So that happened, and then this documentary got made. That's going to be on Showtime, and it premiered at Sundance. That documentary has like opened up another level of like healing and um, just like really uh-huh. l- like l- kind of loving each other. It's it's a pretty amazing journey. Is
0: everyone ar- around? Where are they? I know
2: everyone's spread out. Belinda's in Bangkok. Jane is in Mexico. Charlotte's here and Gina's in San Francisco and I'm in Texas.
0: Bangkok and Mexico. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. For what reason?
2: They like to experience life in different places. Okay. Yeah, you know.
0: <laughs> and what do you do when you go to the Continental?
2: I see I go see bands in Austin.
0: Do you play out there though? Yeah, you I have a band. Play. I
2: have a band in Austin called the Blue Bonnets. You'd like it. It's a total rock and roll band, and the guitar player Eve. She grew up with Gary Clark Jr., and he always acknowledges I know that guy. Yeah. her. And she's a great guitar player. And Dominique and I. She's the bass player and singer. She's. We've had bands since like 1992. I've had. I mean, I'm always in a band. I'm always going to be in a band. Yeah. I, I just whether the Go Go's are the famous band. Yeah. And the successful band. Right. But I don't care. I'm. I just want to be in a band. You know. <laughs> So I play around Austin. We got gigs coming up. and oh, good. Uh, It's a rock and roll band. It's all females, and it's... Grace. You would love it.
0: I'm going to come see you when I'm in Austin. Okay, good. Thank you for talking. Thank you. Do you feel like we covered enough?
2: This is awesome.
0: Thanks for doing it. Yeah. That was fun. I I liked her, and that was... Uh, if, you, if you somehow just tuned into the middle just started in the middle that was Kathy Valentine from the Go-Go's her memoir All I Ever Wanted comes out next Tuesday March 31st you can pre-order it now the Go-Go's documentary premiered at Sundance in January it will be on Showtime later this year my special End Times Fun continues to be on Netflix along with my other two specials which I gather are getting a little juice because of the new one I don't think Thinky Pain has been in the rotation in a while. I fucking did that years ago. But I think Thinky Pain, Too Real, also directed by Lynn Shelton, and uh, the new one, End Times Fun, directed by Lynn Shelton, who's s- still here in the room. You can watch them all. And my buddy uh, Tom Seguras is on well as well. Tom. I'm part of a cluster, Bert Kreischer. Uh, hey Big Boy is on and uh, Ball Hog Tom Segura's new one is on we are like some sort of a weird uh, quarantine cluster of stand-up specials and now I'm going to play the guitar through a pedal which I don't usually do <laughs>